completely different. But open our hearts and our minds to what he has to say so we can be convicted where conviction is needed. We can be edified, be encouraged where that's needed as well. But as always, God, in all things, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Thank you all. Setting the table so well. While we're transitioning off the stage, uh, Amy was just bringing up a point to me. Amy, are you still in here? Where's Amy at? She, she might be out there. Uh, <clears throat> tonight, there's a talent show, the Fellowship Hall, and you, you don't have to go and do something on stage. You can just go and eat soup and sandwiches. There are others who are going to do things on stage. I thought about take, telling dad jokes with somebody if somebody would like take a, take a competition with me and, and whoever laughs first is out. I would be willing to do that for any dads that are takers on that. But anyhow, uh, get your best dad jokes ready and we'll, we'll do that tonight. Maybe Christmas edition, but anyhow, first dad to laugh is out. So anyhow. All right, uh, so you can just come. If you don't mind, uh, there's probably going to be some people setting up. You can either let me know and I'll text them or let Amy know if you're planning on being there and you hadn't signed up. Thank you. Room temperature just like I like it. That's good. Uh, <clears throat> just when I'm preaching. I don't normally like room temperature water all the time. I learned this from people that sing. If you drink cold water while you're speaking or preaching, it constricts your vocal cords and makes it more difficult. So while I'm preaching or teaching, I like lukewarm water. All right. <clears throat> so just let me know or let Amy know, and we'll let the folks know. So come in tonight for soup and sandwiches. It'll be good. And it's cold enough that we'll be able to enjoy that tonight. Okay, with that in mind... Please take your Bibles. By the way, let me just say, I love saying that to you because I know you love the Word here at this church, right? We're a church that loves the Word of God. I love telling you, take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke 13. Luke 13 today, and we're going to be picking up where we left off, beginning in about verse 18. Uh, when the door closes, if you were in my Sunday school class, we've already had a primer to this just a few minutes ago. Uh, lots of discussion on this, and we're going to unpack this passage here a little bit. Now, let me say a couple things about this passage before I dive into it and read it here, and then we spend our time this morning thinking through and feasting on what Jesus is saying here. Uh, first of all, uh, I, rem- I don't know if you remember, but a while back, I said this is, we're kind of like smack in the middle of the Gospel of Luke right now. Like this is like the middle of Luke, okay? And so what this means is, we're also in the middle of his journey to Jerusalem. I don't know if you remember a while back, he said, set my face toward Jerusalem. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and this is another step along the way. And as he's moving forward towards Jerusalem here, we're, we're kind of in sort of this uh, apex point here. You know, he's got nine times he's, he's heading that way. Uh, what's the current setting? Well, he went to the synagogue, where we talked about that. He, he had made his general default setting to gather with God's people, as should be ours seen that last week. He is speaking here to people in the synagogue. And um, he is going to give us here right after he delivers this daughter of Abraham who was bound up. Remember her back was bound up last week. And she's looking down at the ground. He's going to deliver for us here two parables about the kingdom of God and then a more expansive understanding of what that is to follow. So let's now look at this together And see this more clearly. Verse 18. Hear the word of God, church. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? Are you going to do it? Okay. I'm going to put this down because I think it's, there we go. Uh, It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sown it in his garden. 
And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. There we see that phrase again, heading towards Jerusalem. And some said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught us in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And the people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table. We're going to really focus on what that means in just a minute here. In the kingdom of God. And behold... Some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of His holy, inerrant, and infallible Word. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Say it with me, church, if you know it. But the Word of our God endures forever, doesn't it? All right. Um, Jesus here, in this opening parable, in the first verses that we looked at, He's got... Two parables, two probably the shortest parables in all the Gospel of Luke. And these parables are about the kingdom of come and them coming. Now, if you'll notice the way Luke writes, something that's stylistically kind of part of the way that he frames things, Luke loves to put pairs together, right? So in the previous section, we saw what? The woman who is bent over physically, her back, right? She's bent over, and she is paired with who? the leader of the Pharisees in the temple, who is bent over spiritually and contorted and can only see the law. Well, here in these two parables, we have another pair, right? Who are the two pairs here? And he likes to pair men and women together too. I think what Luke is doing when he does all of these pairings and pairs together is he is showing that Christ is for everyone, right? For men and women, for all, right? And so here we have another pair. And in this pair here, we have first and foremost a man. And then we have a woman who is putting leaven in the measurement. So first let's look at this. The beginning one here says here there is a man who planted a mustard seed. Now we don't really live in a culture where we plant mustards. Does anybody here have a mustard plant or tree? Anybody ever seen one fully grown? They will get quite large. You ever seen how small a mustard seed is? It is tiny, tiny, tiny. I remember one time, I think I've shared this with you before, I was pastoring in uh, Kentucky at the time 
and a lady called me and said, Pastor, the Bible's wrong. You've got to get over here. And I said, do what? She said, the Bible's wrong. You've got to get over here. She said, Jesus told us that the mustard seed was the tiniest of the seeds. And I said, yeah. She said, well, look at this. And she pulled out a tobacco seed. And a tobacco plant seed is just a shade smaller than a mustard seed. right? So uh, I was like, well, I think the point Jesus was making in the known world of the day The mustard seed was the smallest seed that they knew of. But in this parable, we see this small seed, which is, I don't know if you've ever seen one before, but it's almost, same with tobacco seeds. Tobacco seeds are almost like the size of pepper. I mean, they're super tiny. Mustard seeds are very tiny as well. It's almost imperceptible with the human eye. And it is planted in the ground, and it becomes this large, massive plant that is big enough and strong enough and stable enough that birds can come and roost and lay in its limbs. So what is the point there? Well, the point is something, the kingdom of God is being compared to something that is small, almost imperceptible to the rest of the plants that are around it and planted in the ground. But once planted in the ground and watered and the growth process started, is going to be unstoppable and will be noticed by all that is around, right? You know, you put that seed in the ground at first, there's no evidence that that mustard seed is there. But as time goes on, what happens? It becomes almost a focal point of that landscape, doesn't it? Similar thing here in the next parable. We see this woman who has put leaven in the, in the flower. Now, oftentimes in Scripture, leaven is compared to sin in, in several places in the Bible. So I don't want you to get confused by this. In this passage, the leaven is not sin. The leaven is being compared to the kingdom of God, right? The mustard seed is the kingdom of God. The leaven is the kingdom of God. Now, three measures is not a small amount of flour. It is a large amount of flour, So she's putting a little bit of leaven into a large amount of flour. And when she puts a little bit of leaven into a large amount of flour, as time progresses onward, eventually all of that flour will become leavened. It will become uh, consumed and and part of it will be leavened so it will be perfect for baking bread. Uh, Why did Jesus pick these parables? Well, one, an agricultural society at the time would have got the one about the mustard seed. And then everyone who cooked, remember bread is kind of a staple of life in almost all the world. I mean, we have some Asian countries that they might would substitute, there's, there's, what would you call that, a carbohydrate or starch, might be rice, but by and large, everybody eats bread. And so everybody would have understood a little bit of leaven would have leavened the whole thing. Again, it's very similar to the mustard seed. She's just going to insert a little bit and it'll work its way through all the bread and you won't be able to use any of that any of that flour that you can't unleaven the the flour once it's leavened once it's done it's done right and this is the this is the this is the concept of the kingdom of god starting at a small merely inconceivable point and amount i mean you think about jesus's ministry right we all know that jesus preached in rome and the greatest cities of his day right ephesus and all these different places isn't that where jesus preached no, he didn't preach there, right? If you just agreed to that, you clearly have not read the Bible, right? You've not tracked with his... He was a countryside preacher. He's preaching out on the outskirts, making his way to a major city. I mean, who would have thought, if you were living and growing up in that time period when Jesus is alive, 
Who would have thought a country preacher and prophet on the outskirts of a conquered area, Israel, would be the one who would usher in the kingdom of God for all of humanity? So what are we learning here? Well, we're learning a few things from these parables. First of all, Jesus is declaring to us the kingdom of God, it is urgent, it is imminent, and it is present even now, right? That leaven is working through its way urgently. It's going to start out slow. But it's, and, it, and another thing we learned, just like in the mustard seed here, once that thing is rolling and going, the kingdom of God is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. It begins small, almost unperceivable, imperceivable with the human eye. Most people aren't going to believe that. But then it grows through progress, through permeation, through diffusion. That's how the kingdom of God grows. It's not, you know, I think the Jews were looking for when the Messiah comes, he's going to come and rain down judgment. He's going to come and rain down fire. And he's going to come and judge the Romans and throw them out of town. And it's going to be this big event. And many of us think that's how the kingdom of God works. It's an event, like this big event, right? That's what's going to make you a really good preacher. If you can have these big events, and have masses of people come to Jesus Christ. Um, I, I don't know that that really jives with what we're seeing in the text today. That thinking and that understanding. Uh, I, I think really what we need to do is stop and slow down. And see God working in the little things in life. Okay, See God working in the little things in life. Don't fail to see God at work all the time, even if it is something small, even if it is something that the world would say that's not a big deal, even if it's something as small as a mustard seed or a little leaven. You know, um, I, I think for us as believers, I really believe this. I've been in the ministry now for 20 years. Listen to me for just a minute. Please listen to me right now. I'm going to give you an observation both from this text and my personal life experience. I don't think the kingdom of God works itself out by just constant event, big, big, big all the time. I think the kingdom of God works itself out with a kindness here to your neighbor, with a diffusion of gospel at work, with speaking well to those that you struggle with in your family, and loving them anyway. This is how the gospel and the yeast permeates the entire flower bin. It's not this one quick. I mean, we would all love for it to be this one quick swift thing and it's all done. But it takes decades and a lifetime to diffuse and permeate the gospel and the kingdom, not just a real quick deal. Okay? That may not be super encouraging for some, but it's very encouraging. For me, staying at the task, staying faithful. God's kingdom has come here and it, it, will, it will grow. You know, we have all kinds of community engagements. I love, we, were, we did the parade last night. Some of you were there with us. Some of you stood on the side and saw us there. And by the way, if your kid was there last night and got candy, you need to go ahead and have them, I believe, in tithing. They need to bring their 10% in particularly of Reese's Pieces and Kit Kats. Make sure those make it here to the church office for me. You've got to start them young, right? To see the look of joy, though, on people's faces as we went down proclaiming the gospel, 
handing candy to kids. Slow diffusion. We've been doing that every year. Satan has tried many times to stop us from doing that. And, you know, some of them were very stressful for me personally as a pastor. (laughs) But praise God that we were able to do that and diffuse that love and that encouragement in our community. All right, another thing we want to see here too is that God's kingdom has come and there is Jesus is telling us there's a guarantee that it'll grow. Sometimes we, we get discouraged. We don't see the growth that we think we should see when we should see it here. Jesus here is telling us, you know, a mustard seed plant doesn't just spring up overnight. It needs time to do that. In a similar fashion here, the kingdom of God needs time. The whole bag is not leavened. The whole three measures is not going to be leavened overnight. It takes time to, for that to happen. And I, I think sometimes in our Christian life we... We think that being faithful to Jesus is going to be this kind of one big event thing. Now, you may not dream of this or not, but there was a, a pastor of yesterday, theologian. He was talking, his name is Fred Craddock, and he, he made a really good point, and I liked, I liked what he said. He said, as a young man, when I gave my life to Jesus, he said, I thought uh, there would be a point where they would drag me before the execution squad, and they would demand that I deny Christ, and I would not deny Christ, but rather I would instead proclaim Jesus Christ and the, and the marshal would give the sign, fire. And then he would be martyred and killed gloriously for the gospel, giving God one big check. Flags would be lowered to half mask. Widows would cry and would weep because it had happened. And then he goes on to say this, and I think this is the heart of this parable here. Okay, so don't miss this this morning. Nobody told me that giving my life was not one big check. Instead, it's a series of small checks. 85 cents here. $1.35 there. Giving my life to the small things over and over and over through a lifetime. That's where we live, isn't it? Small checks for the Lord over and over and over. What you cannot even see starts with and eventually becomes too impossible, too impressive to ignore. Uh, Four or five times here, he says here, we move down here, he's working his way through Jerusalem in the next verse here. uh, Entrance into the kingdom in 22 through 23, we're going to learn is not automatic. Uh, Even though we are... In a day where people like the concept called universalism, which is that everybody dies and goes to heaven no matter what, that's actually a teaching that's been around a long time. For those of you that were in Sunday school, and if you're not in Sunday school, let me really encourage you to please come to Sunday school. If you need a class, come to our class. We'll meet in the choir room every Sunday morning. Please come this morning. The, the text we looked at this morning and what I'm preaching could not have dovetailed better. We looked at Ezekiel chapter 11 this morning. There was an impending wrath and a judgment of God coming on the town. And there were about 20 or 25 leaders in the community that said, everything's fine. You don't got to worry about it. Right? We see the same thing with a lot of the, the, any of the prophets in the Old Testament. There's always a counter. Right? God, you know, Satan always offers, well, everything's okay. Peace. Everything's fine. Uh, whenever impending judgment and God has sent a prophet, Satan always tries to send one to quiet that. Usually tries to send more than one to kind of quieten them down. And what we're seeing here in these next verses, in this next set of preaching and teaching here, this guy's trying to figure out. There were rabbis and teachers of his day who were teaching universalism. Uh, A famous false teacher today, his name is Rob Bell. Rob Bell made a series of 
very engaging videos, but he listened to me. Rob Bell is a heretic, and he's fallen off the horse, and he's fallen hard. Uh, but he's an excellent communication, excellent speaker. He wrote a book called Love Wins. And basically, the surmising of that book is everybody gets to go to heaven, no matter what. Uh, from what I gather now, Rob Bell is Oprah Winfrey's closest thing she has to a pastor, and I don't think he even goes to church anymore. So there's, there's, there's Rob Bell now. Uh, well, they had sort of a similar teaching. We have documents that show false teaching like that all the way back to the first century when Jesus was there. And so some of these rabbis say, many people will be saved. Many will go to heaven. But here in verse 22 through 24, look what Jesus answered and said. Like, look, Lord, who, who will be saved? But a few or, or many, right? He wants to know, is everybody going to heaven? Or a few going to heaven? Somewhere in between? Give me a ballpark number. Jesus says what? Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter. And what's it say, church? Will not be able. So is Jesus here teaching universalism or the opposite? He's teaching the opposite, isn't he? He's saying, no, it's not the many who will be saved, but rather the few. Uh, and so one principle we're learning here when Jesus says this is that entrance into the kingdom of God is not automatic. You don't get an automatic pass into heaven just because you were born a human being. Some people teach that and believe that, but you're not going to find that teaching on the lips of Jesus Christ who is God incarnate. That's not God's teaching. So if it's not God's teaching and it's not Jesus' teaching, whose teaching is it, church? Huh? Whose is it? It's Satan's, isn't it? That's a satanic concept, right? You see it right here in the red, right in front of you. I didn't write this, right? This is from the lips of Jesus Christ. Few are going to be saved. Once the master of the house has risen and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open it to us. And he will answer you saying, I do not know where you are, where you come from. Okay, let's, we talked a lot about this in Sunday school uh, and I think the analogy that we were talking about was kind of backwards. We were talking about Jesus knocking on our hearts. The door here in this illustration is people wanting into heaven, knocking on the door to get in and to be with the Lord in eternity, right? And so in this, in this particular passage here, one thing I think is happening is we're learning a few principles here about entrance into the kingdom. Uh, first and foremost here, you know, we're, we're seeing that Jesus has been making invitations to the folks. If we jump down to 25, I actually read this whole thing as an invitation to the kingdom, but with a caution, right? Look at 25 for just a minute. What's 25 say? Once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, we'll begin to stand outside and knock at it. So what's he saying? Right now, while I'm with you and I'm here, and even today, the door is open. The invitation is there in verse 25. Come in and know the Lord. Come in and repent of your sin now. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. Now, I'm, I'm preaching here to a group. You're a little younger than my 9 o'clock group. They sort of live on the edge of, of what may not be here next week. I remember one time in a business meeting, an older person came up to me and said, Pastor, when are we going to do X, Y, and Z? I was like, well, I'm thinking a few years. He said, I might not be here in a few years. Like, they just seem to get it. Some of them really get that. And you say, well, I've got time to do this, or I have time to do that. Maybe not, right? Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the fig tree? 
The fig tree was on what? It was on borrowed time already. And the one said, let me work with it for a year. And if it doesn't work, I'll cut it down and I'll toss it into the flame. There's an urgency here that you accept the invitation of the door being open, that Jesus has opened the door for you this morning, that you may know him. Don't delay it and don't put it off. Listen, I just did a funeral this week. Somebody who watched our services online regularly, uh, somebody who unfortunately, tragically, we're all saddened by it. We're still reeling from it. She passed away at 34 years old Saturday, okay? Uh, That's tough. You don't know. You don't know when life is over, right? To me, I I think that's when it happens. That's when the door shuts. When there's no longer a chance for repentance, when the last breath is drawn, that's when I think we're seeing the door shut in this verse. Another thing we see here is when the door is shut, Notice the people's reaction, right? Master of the house, he shuts the door. Then we move on here. We see, he says here, they tell him, open, the, open up the door, right? And they'll answer him, I do not know where you come from. Then look at verse 26. So he's speaking to them. I don't know who you are, right? And then look at their answer. Verse 26. We ate and drank in your presence. You taught us in the streets, Right? Here Jesus is the doormaster and the keeper. Verse 27. Look what he says here. In verse 27. Verse 27 says this. But he said to them, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Where's the principle emerging here, right? Here's the principle. The principle is proximity to Jesus does not mean possession. Of Jesus. Proximity to Jesus does not mean possession of Jesus. Many of us are coming in here week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and we have a proximity to the gospel, and we have a proximity to Jesus, and we have a proximity to understanding a little bit of what the New Testament is about, but we don't have possession of who He is. We have an external adornment of Him and an external understanding of Him, but we don't have Him. And Jesus says to them, What? If that's who you are, the invitation eventually ends. The proximity is not the possession. You are going to be assessed by him to be a worker of good? No. Jesus will say what? You're a worker of evil, right? Think about this. Jesus in Matthew makes a similar claim uh, on the judgment day. Many will come and they'll think they're saved and they'll think they're in good shape. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, right? That's the way it says in the King James. So there's this concept here. Many, there's a lot of people who think they're okay by proximity, but not by personal possession. Many of us are coming in on Sunday mornings and we are ritualistically and externally tagged to Jesus in proximity, but we're not, our hearts are not warmed by the joy of the grace of knowing Christ Jesus. We're not motivated to do what is right and keep His commands out of a position of pleasure and rejoicing. We are motivated out of a position of obligation. Proximity does not save. Only possession of Christ will save you. There's also in verse 28, exclusion, right? In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. You know what verse 28 is? This is a horrific snapshot of hell. This is what hell is like. Hell is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth as opposed to the joy of knowing Christ and being with Abraham, right? Remember what he just said in the previous section from last week? She's a daughter of who? Abraham, which means her destination, the Lord knows in his heart, she's going to end up where? She'll end up beside Abraham in heaven. How many of you have ever been to Alcatraz? You ever been to Alcatraz? Raise your hand, Alcatraz. I am fascinated by Alcatraz. I don't really have a good reason to be fascinated by Alcatraz. I've, I always, the whole city of San Francisco is interesting to me. Alcatraz is interesting to me. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, San Francisco was named one of the most lost cities in the U.S., one of the most unchurched cities in the United States. Uh, you know, we should be praying for San Francisco. We should, we should be praying that God would do a work and save people there uh, because there are some faithful churches that are there that are trying their best week in, week out. But man, a lot of gospel opportunity. So Alcatraz, for those of you who don't know, is everybody familiar with Alcatraz before I do this illustration? sits in the Bay of San Francisco. And it used to be a maximum security prison. It's changed hands through the years. U.S. military had it at one point. Native Americans had it at one point. And then uh, they had it as a maximum security prison. And um, they said the most torturous thing about being at Alcatraz when you were a prisoner, they had Al Capone, a lot of high-profile people at that prison, was that at nighttime, when the wind changed directions and blew just right, that you could hear San Francisco from your jail cell. And the men there could hear the women laughing, and they could smell the food that was being cooked in San Francisco, but they couldn't be part of any of it. Now, doesn't that sound horrific? What does this verse tell us? When you see Abraham, one thing that would make hell even worse would be to not only be in torment of gnashing of teeth, but to be able to look to heaven and see what the mercies and grace and what heaven is like and what the people in heaven are experiencing because of the sacrifice of Christ. It would make it, in my opinion, ten times worse. It would almost be easier for those inmates at Alcatraz if they had to endure that punishment somewhere far away from the smells of, of delicious food cooked, from the laughs and the voice of women that they can't be around, and from the sounds uh, of the city and the hustle and bustle and the freedom that is there. They just they can hear it. They can, every sense can be engaged in it, except they can't be engaged in it. And I think that's something about what is torturous about the, and miserable about health. Verses 29 through 30, though, he goes on and tells us that entrance is still available, though. This is the good news this morning. That when people come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. This verse feels like a verse in Isaiah. It's, it's a picture, an image of people from all tribes, all nations coming to Jesus Christ. Some of us, and particularly in the culture we live in, are tempted to look at a passage like this and think, how narrow-minded of Jesus, how narrow of him to preach and teach something like this. But don't you see here in 29, he tells us he's building a people for himself from every tribe, every nation, every language, every type of people will be in heaven with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you think that's beautiful this morning that God is doing that? All right, look at verse 30 here. Oh, wait, before we move on, let me, let me say one thing. Uh, something that grabbed me as I was studying this passage in 29, 
This verse here, the latter part here, recline at table. That phrase, if you have, if you're okay with this, it is the word and the content of God that's eternal, not, not your paper Bible. If you're okay with this, I highlight or underline recline at table in this passage because I want to point something out to you. Luke only uses this verb and this structure three times in the whole book. Three times he uses this, okay? Once time you've already seen before is back in chapter 12. If you want to look back in your Bible with me, uh, it's in 1237. And in 1237 there um, it comes, talks about the servants and the master and then reclining at table with him. Does anybody want to guess where the other time Luke uses it in the Gospel of Luke? Guess where it is. Do you know? No, but that was a good guess. <laughs> it is used in Luke chapter 2. It's used in Luke chapter 2, but it's translated differently. It's the same Greek verb. It's used to describe Mary laying Jesus in the manger. It's the same Greek verb that you're seeing here. Isn't that interesting? You wouldn't see that in English, but you'll see it in the Greek. So I want to I make a point here this morning and say this. Think about this. I want you to think about how beautiful this is, this invitation that God is giving us this morning. The God who reclined, and by the way, I think I've talked about this before, but let me review before I make this observation. They would eat in sort of a U-shaped table, and the men, they would all kind of sort of turn their legs out, and they would be at the table kind of resting with their elbow. Next person would be almost to their chest, right? And they didn't have chairs. They'd be seated on the ground, and then somebody would kind of come in the middle and serve if they had a server. So that's kind of how they would recline at the table there. Uh, just a point of rest so that you can be eating and refueling, okay? Uh, <clears throat> so here's, here's the observation then. The, go- the God who is reclined at table, who is laid reclined at stable in this particular instance in Luke chapter 2, in a feeding trough designed for animals, right? This is the beauty. Christmas is where glory, right? Jesus, God in human form, the one who created this world, who held this world in his hand, who moved the Appalachian Mountains into place, is being reclined in a manger that was designed for animals to feed out of, will one day make humanity recline with him in his kingdom. Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? The one who reclines in the manger will be the one who reclines in the kingdom with you and with I if we will step through the door that is open. Your place will be in or it will be out. There are no in-between categories in this passage. Uh, Strive to go through the narrow door, Jesus says here, or the door will shut, right? You will be either reclining with Him or you will be conscious of all those who will recline with him. So this morning, we think about these passages, we think about this invitation. Where do you want to be? Do you want to accept the invitation now? Recline with him now? So that you, as you always will, will forever in eternity? Or will you just settle for proximity to Jesus? Settle for just hearing preaching about him? but never truly possessing Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this Word here today. 
Thank you for the beautiful tie-in that you gave Luke to, for us to see. Lord, we know the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that to be almost saved and almost convinced of salvation is like a man who is almost pardoned but is hanged the next day or like a man who is almost rescued from the fire in his home but is burned up in his house. A man almost saved is damned, Lord. If there's anyone who is here today that does not know you, Lord, that is far from you today, may they see the open door now and may they take that open door. Lord, you go on to tell us Time and placement is not of great significance. Those who have come before us may be last. and Those who are, are quick to do this at the end may be first. Lord, heaven and hell lay, lay, lay in the balance here. Lord, help us now to just accept the open door while it remains open. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you've not accepted Christ, you've not repented of your sins, you've not entered through that door yet, let me encourage you to do so. Remember what I said. Remember what Jesus said today. That door doesn't stay open forever. Life is uncertain. Life is dangerous and unpredictable. I'm not trying to manipulate you into making a decision, but I am trying to be very clear with reality. Many will say things are fine, but remember what Christ said. Come while the door is open. Possess Christ today. Recline with the one who reclined in the manger forever. Won't you do that as we sing? Please stand.